Hey everyone, before the episode starts, I just want to let you know there is a trigger warning here. Uh, we do talk about sexual assault. We do talk about uh, pretty, uh, pretty damaging traumas for people. And we didn't want you to go into this episode completely blind. So just be aware of that um, and enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back to A Beautiful Faith, where we give voice to all that makes faith beautiful. Henry, welcome to Chattanooga. Um, I'm glad you're back here, and without glasses, nonetheless. I know. I've rediscovered sight because of the purity of my eyes now. I'm... I hate you. I am... (laughs) I'm trying to get used to this. Like This is really messing with me because I've only known you with glasses. The only time that I've ever seen you without glasses is when we were sharing a room at um, at an event in the Carolinas for a week and it was, you just take them off to go to sleep, but that's it. Like you never have, like, I've never seen you without glasses like this before. And it's very strange. Yeah. This is, this is crazy. Actually, this is the first time since I've been eight years old that I haven't had like glasses or contact lenses. So yeah, you had a, you had an experimental surgery where they grabbed some dirt and uh, they spit in it in their hands. And, and they, they rubbed they it in my eyes and said, you're washing the pool of Siloam. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, no, I had something that was far less experimental that's been going on for like 20 years called LASIK, where they used lasers and a tool to cut a flap in my eyeballs. And uh, they literally peeled back the surface of my eye and then burned away the impurities in my eye that causes light to refract wrong and create stigmatism and things like that. And I went from basically a minus two stigmatism in both eyes to 2015 vision. And it's crazy. You know, I, I, I had 2015. It's probably closer to 2020 now, just as I've gotten a little older. Um, but a lot of people don't know what the number, what those fractions mean. Because yeah. they're not actually fractions. <laughs> yeah, they're not a so, fraction. It's... So the idea is um, 20 feet is kind of the standard. So the idea is that... Um, the top number is what a normal person would be able to see and the, at, the, at that distance, and the bottom number is what you can see, or how far away you have to be from an object to be able to see it. So 2020 vision is a normal person, only has to be 20 feet away to see it, and right. you also only have to be 20 feet away. So 2030 is 20 feet away for a normal person, 30 feet away um, for... Correct. Yeah, correct. So, so now yeah. a normal person sees it 20 feet, and by the time they were done with this surgery, I can see it 15 feet. Correct. Whereas before that, I had to be like 22 inches away from an item to actually see it. Yep. That was, so, the, that was the stigmatism. It was, it was crazy. I used yeah. to be able to hold my arm out, and I could see the back of my hand, but beyond it was blurry. Yeah. Without my glasses. Yeah. I had to have my, my glasses. And people are now joking about the fact that you know, I, I'm quite animated when I preach and when I bounce around my glasses for years, my, my whole ministry, honestly, if I can think about that now, they slide down my nose. And so I'll be in the middle of preaching and just like slam my hand up real quick to have to keep throwing yes, my I've glasses seen that up. firsthand. Yeah. And I have people, including my fiance, joking with me now. She's like, you're going to poke your eyes out the next time you preach because I'm going to be bouncing around and by instinct, just fling my hand up there and there's nothing and just go, <laughs> ah! 
And then you'll need glasses again. Yeah. Then the cycle like, repeats. Uh, 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 why did I spend three thousand dollars an eyeball Yikes. for this? Yikes. No, yes. I am I am super happy for you. Both of my siblings had LASIK and um both have super benefited from it. So really glad for you and super happy to see you. Um Yeah, I can see clearly now. Yeah, I'm really the happy that you can see me, Henry. Gone. I'm happy yes. to see you, oh, but I'm really it, happy that it, you can see me. And my faith is restored because you're still beautiful. Aw. Um, yes. That's cute. Oh, I know. I'm just excited for you to dress better now that you can see what you're <laughs> putting on. So, oh, man. I used to cry every morning when I looked in the mirror, and now I can just... Uh, I still cry every morning. Yeah. <laughs> Help. Um, yeah. No, I mean, and what a great time to do it. I feel like we're doing like a LASIK promo. Please sponsor us, LASIK, because you guys have enough money is, to do so. Is LASIK a company? Uh, no, it's a procedure. But, oh, okay, I was like, but, yeah. I mean, I guess I would, I, but I don't want to actually say the company that I got it done with or doctor because then that's like advertising yeah. for nothing. No, Although you. they did a fantastic job, and all I will say is that apparently the best LASIK surgeon in the U.S. happens to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is just crazy because there were people on the day I had my surgery. There were people that had driven from as far away. There was a couple from West Virginia that came down. One from Illinois, and somebody flew in from Nevada. Wow! To have it done, so and so, it's really cool uh, to do that. It was a very unique process, and uh, but it's a crazy time to be in because you know how they always say the 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 technologies get better. You never want to try something that's like brand new. Yeah, and LASIK's been out there twenty years now or so, and it's it's definitely evolved. When they were explaining it, they used to. It wasn't called LASIK. The first thing they had was literally like blades. They would grind the surface of your eye down to fix it, and it took months to recover. And now my surgery for both eyes was done in 15 minutes while I was fully awake. It's, it was crazy. I mean, they have these million-dollar machines that just do everything now. And even five years ago, LASIK used to be they had patterns that they would burn into your eyes to kind of try and like mm -hmm. make them spheres. But now they do all of this massive computer mapping basically of your eyeball and figure out where the impurities are and the machine tailors the you know the the burns to your eye and they can computer wise make your eye a perfect sphere wow so it's just they just cut a flap in the front pull it back do the burn lay it back down and it and it heals very quickly wow uh, so well, it's sorry just, to anyone who hates any medical talk whatsoever. Yes. Please stay tuned. We're not talking about this the whole episode. Yes, yes. I won't. Um, I won't tell you how they made the flap. Anyway, so <laughs> never ask how the sausage is made. Yes, Henry, it, never it, exactly. Ask. You never want to see it done. So, uh, so we're talking today um, about <laughs> uh, purity culture, modesty culture, and um, there's a place where the church hasn't seen clearly for some time. Yeah, exactly. So uh, basically, so the get idea them blades here, out. We're going to be slicing some covers off. Of the impure thoughts on purity culture. Get out. Um, the <laughs> Make me with a laser. The, the issue here <laughs> is there's a lot of people that have experienced a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of guilt and shame uh, from the current state and the traditional, you know, the traditional purity culture or modesty culture. Like when I say purity culture or modesty culture for a lot of people who grew up in the church or just have been in the church. Yeah, let's define that for, for any in length of time. Pretty much know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, let's let's absolutely define what we're talking about here with purity uh, slash modesty culture. Um, so, Henry, if you want to start us off with a definition for or, or what you would summarize as purity culture. Well, perhaps even by way of getting into the definition, we need to explain a teeny bit of the of the more recent history that people would be aware of 
purity culture really kind of made a quote resurgence or at least being titled that I don't think it was titled that prior to the last no, 30 years. Uh, it was a particularly big movement in the early 1990s in evangelical circles, uh, particularly based around certain very popular books on the topic that used phrases like that. I, I believe Joshua Harris's, I guess, Dating Goodbye was a very big one. Um, there was the Eric and I think Leslie was her name. Eric and Leslie Ludy did like When God Writes Your Love Story, things like this. Um, these were huge books. I remember even even growing up. And the idea of a purity culture was they would say men are built a certain way and women are built a certain way. And men being more visual and all that, women, if they dress certain ways or they do certain things, they're going to cause their brothers to stumble. Mm -hmm. In other words, turn into like sex ravaging, like crazed It's like maniac. gremlins after midnight. That, like, that's yeah, basically what it yeah, is. Yeah, the, the full moon comes out and you do what it, anyway... And, and so the idea of purity culture was for the sake of people being, you know, for our men being saved and not doing sin and lusting after women and whatever, that the emphasis was on women needed to change the way they lived, particularly in the areas of dress in mannerisms and in interactions with other people. And, and then they throw on tag on in the end and man, you should probably change some of your lifestyle habits, such as, you know, the only thing they really picked on men for, and it wasn't even that strong was like pornography, which I don't even remember that big a discussion on it. And that's why it's probably ravaging the church even, even worse. Yeah. But so anyway, in the nineties and it, and it came about this way where women would promise to keep themselves pure until marriage. The idea being, I'm not going to show a lot of myself and I'm definitely not having sex before marriage. And then guys were dedicating to not lust after women and keep themselves until their yep. only wife, wait for God to send the right one or whatever. And they, they even had ceremonies with like purity rings. This was a big thing. They even had jewelry for it. Like you literally put a ring on where the ring finger should be, but it was reminding you, you were staying, you know, pure and, and until the one God sent you to be married to yeah. or, or whatever. And they'd had whole ceremonies about this and, yeah, and, and the, talk the, about that, and it just got bigger and bigger even into the early 2000s. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the, the biggest difference between modesty culture and purity culture really is modesty is dealing with dress and mannerisms, kind of daily behaviors. Purity is dealing with literally literal sexual purity, so to speak. It was speak. all sexual. It was all... Overtones, it was, undertones, yeah, everything. It was complete abstinence from sexual activity prior to marriage. That, yes. is, that is purity culture specifically. Um, yeah, and it got into really awkward territory. I can remember that too. It was almost like it was a, a mix also of overcorrecting for the fact that parents never had the sex talk and the church wasn't used to having it either. And so they went overboard and they'd be having discussions like, all right, and purity culture means if the word sex is in it, it's inappropriate, yeah. you know? And, and let, it was. I do want to clarify too, purity rings and some of that stuff, there's nothing inherently bad with them, it's the way that they have been used and, and pushed on people. If you're using a purity ring for your own decision and as a reminder for yourself because of a decision that you've made on your own, right, right, that's totally fine. So we're not knocking, like, we're not knocking any individual method necessarily, rather the mindset that has used those methods inappropriately. Yes, yeah, almost the coercive nature of where, I mean, they use that almost as like a, a hazing ritual or initiation. If you don't have that on, then you're a slut, a hoe, or whatever. Yes. You know, what, why, why don't you want to be pure kind of thing? Yep. I mean, modesty culture was 100% written to protect men. It was created to, and established to protect men. 
and like let's, it doesn't even protect them but that's no it doesn't point. but that the idea was to protect and it, for for better or for worse and whether it was intentional or not to control it controls women that's what it does it 100 percent controls it, it, it is meant for or at least a side effect of it is that it is a controlling and manipulative tactic tactic i mean i remember being in high school um at a private school and i know this to be tr- still true of several uh high schools even colleges um where if they have a uniform they may have skirts for girls that they can wear usually it's skorts if depending on if you're a part of a really conservative private school or not yeah um and they tell you your id card or your driver's license uh the bottom of your skirt has to be within that length so what 3 inches basically of your knee um and uh in order to be considered modest if it's any shorter than that you get sent home and yes you absolutely better believe there were They'd teachers, home, yeah. faculty who would walk around with measuring tape or they would literally hold up an ID to a woman's leg. And um, I seem to remember at least in your academy, man, you guys in Florida were liberal, you know, as they say. Our, ours up here further in the Carolinas, I mean, it was like if it was above the kneecap, if you could see the kneecap. Yeah. Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing that that mocks or not mocks, but degrades. uh or discourages the the wearing of like torn or ripped jeans, um, anything that would be even remotely potentially sexually provocative, or tight clothing, yep. or anything. Yeah. You know. Um. So it, and to be honest, like this, this is there's there's two things. A, it's an insult to women, but um, I do want to talk about the lesser the lesser part of this, which is that first, so that we can focus on women the rest of pretty much the episode. Yeah. Um. But it is an insult to men. Like yes. this is one hundred percent insulting to men. Yeah, and and I mean, just bring up one area right now that's very relevant in in the West in in Christianity. As I said, I remember even as a kid, tons of sermons, tons of youth group meetings, whatever, all talking about how women needed to preserve themselves for whatever. And maybe porn was mentioned once or twice, just to feel like they said something to guys, but it was not in any depth. And one of the biggest scourges of the church right now is the massive addiction to pornography among men. Mm-hmm. period, which means they didn't do anything to help us in reality. You know, you blame the females that are there, yeah. and so then the guys just go look at all of it online. And... They basically said, there's nothing we can do about a guy's uh, a guy's hormones, so we'll just control the women. Yeah, that you're That's an uncontrollable idea. sex maniac with no free will or ability to exercise self-restraint. Yeah. That you're a primordial... It's so funny for a church that was paranoid about evolutionary theory coming to the church. They sure believe men are governed by evolution when it comes to this topic. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, and it's incredibly sad. And well, and honestly to me, what that says, because you know, many of the people in power are men. What it says is there's like the conspiracy theorist in me basically says that there's a reason they didn't talk about porn. And so they could keep getting away with it while also controlling the women. Yeah. Um, so, but it is an insult to men because it does, it does basically reduce us down to nothing more than, um, the hormones that we apparently have absolutely no ability to control, control right? Um, but then, um, at the end, the other side of this, and, and honestly, this is the more overt and more, I would say, um, it has done more overt damage, um, is how it affects women. Um, you have... The, the idea that, that purity is something that you can lose and it, that's it, um, there are the, there's countless sermon illustrations I've heard of 
like there's a flower, someone holds a flower in their hand or the rose, um, and they say, this is you, or this is, yeah, this is you. And then they crush that rose in their hand or they throw it on the ground and stomp on it and they say, this is you if you have sex before marriage. This is how your husband will view you. Um, yeah. and, and who wants a that's, crushed, that's beat you've up. you've lost your value. Yeah, you have lost your value. Your value only exists if you do not do this thing. Um, there's, um... Yeah, that their value is, is what can they offer sexually? Yep. And, and, and then we even co-op terms like outside of the church, like, well, you wouldn't want to be sloppy seconds. Or I, I remember one youth leader who brought in a toothbrush and brushed his teeth and then was like, do you want to use this toothbrush? And we're like, oh, gross. No, it's been in your mouth. He goes, that's exactly what happens if you have sex before marriage and you marry someone yep. else. It's like, why would you want someone else's toothbrush? So keep your toothbrush clean, you know, kind of thing. And it was just like, I mean, I remember illustrations like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's sad. Like, I remember reading online once there was a thread um, they, they thought they were being clever and they, be, and someone asked like, why is it that men, uh, sleeping around and having many sexual partners are seen as a good thing yeah, and, players. and girls are, are viewed as sluts or, um, you name it. And the, the answer given was, which is better? A key that opens several locks or a lock that is opened by several keys. No, oh. And like, it's that kind of thing that just reduces people down to objects and, um, and puts men above women like that, that kind of well, yeah, mindset. Because it, that answer in a logical framework can only truly be answered by a locksmith. So the focus is now on the locksmith, not the key. Yeah. Um, no, 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 the whole thing is the whole thing. is, And honestly, like here, the most, the most damaging thing about this other than is that it doesn't click. The, no, I hate you. The most damaging <laughs> thing about all of this, especially the crust rose analogy or any analogy like that that says you will lose your, you know, like the toothbrush analogy, is that it it attaches the evil, it attaches the the sin or the evil to the act itself. So when a woman actually finally gets married and has sex, she's got tw she's got what 10 15 years worth or maybe 5 or 6 or 7 depending on when they get married right yeah um anywhere from from 7 to 10 15 years worth of conditioning that has said if you have sex you are now broken and your value is gone yeah so even when they experience sex the way that they were quote supposed to they still end up feeling shame and guilt and have to go to therapy in couples therapy even to undo all of the conditioning that has told them that their value is wrapped up in the fact that they haven't had sex yet. Yeah. It like, oh, and they're seeing it ruins that, marriages before they even begin. Well, and they're showing that that's even impacting really conservative men as yeah. well. That, you know, you spend your whole life, your only sex talk is don't have it. And then, you know, if you are quote faithful and manage not to, and then you get married and all of a sudden, what am I supposed to do? I was never supposed to do this. Yep. And you know, it, well, and there's a number of people too, who have, who have gotten married and been and had sex or not gotten married and just had just had a kind of secular version of of a sexual life i guess i don't know how to basically just had sex with a bunch of people um who said like yeah the first time i had it it wasn't a big deal like all the, the all this the, all this hype is dumb yeah it's overhyped and so basically for those people all of that conditioning was just a lie and so if that's a lie what else did the church lie it, like it becomes the first step of the deconstructive of the journey, deconstructive yeah. uh, journey. So, while at the same time, it is definitely deconstructing you emotionally. Yep. And look, I get, I get the the intent. I get the, but 
I get the intent of this as far as like trying to create an environment where the potential for sin is minimized. That is that is the the spoken intent of this, right? That that's the but idea. But again, the instigator, the temptress, yeah. it's not even temptor. The temptress and everything else falls the blame proportionally or the fear proportionally yeah. is placed at the feet of women. Well, and <laughs> the bottom line is um which goes back to church malice history. whether something is malicious is not determined by intent in other words intent doesn't determine malice you could be um well intent can determine it malice, can but, but it, yeah what i'm saying is always. it's not it's not yeah. a one-to-one that's what, yeah i can mean to save your life and end up doing something that's actually hurting you um that's there are um Actually, that's why if someone gets into a car accident, unless they're unless like the car's about to blow up and their life is in more immediate danger, you shouldn't you're not, move them. You shouldn't try to move them because you can make it worse. Um, malice does not care about intent. I guess that's the better way to put that. And so, while their intent may be to minimize the an environment or you know create an environment where the potential for sin is minimized, it doesn't matter because they've all they've done is. Um, increase or all we have done because I definitely have participated in this kind of culture um, is create an environment that now has an increase of shame and fear and guilt that should not exist in the Christian walk period yeah um, and it does all of those examples do nothing to actually serve the people who come into the church after they've made those decisions and made quote the wrong ones what are they supposed to do? Well, it ignores the gospel's primary story of redemptive yep. intent. Absolutely. I mean, the idea that we could have the central tenet of Western Christianity be a cross. We put it on buildings. We wear it on jewelry. It's on our T-shirts. It's whatever. The cross was a—it would be the equivalent today of walking around with logos of the electric chair. Yep. Like, people do not want to wear that. That it was, I mean, the idea that your deity was humiliated by the worst form of execution known to the then-known world was not something you wanted to brag about. I actually, but, I actually saw on Reddit the other day an image. It was a four-panel image, and it was what the church would look like if Jesus had been crucified in different time periods. There oh, was wow. an electric chair. There was a, there was, it was, so it was the steeple, but instead yeah. of the steeple, it was a guillotine. There was oh, an wow, electric like chair. Jacobian. Like, yeah, they had... Yeah. They had all of, like, they had, I don't remember the other two, but the guillotine one really stood out to me. But that's <laughs> what that is. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, that's no, exactly but, what that But the is. idea is, is God took the worst symbol of human torture and turned it into something that we no longer associate with fear and death, which, by the way, fun fact, fun in quotes, did you know that crucifixion is still a legal form of execution in one country on the planet? Hmm. Iran. Where? Iran, I just Where? said. Ah, aha. Uh -huh. Away from crucifixion. <laughs> and apparently the coronavirus. But whatever. You it's know, Iran, Henry. Come Iran. on. Uh, Iran. Enron. Now All I right. say Enron, what are we? The this Bush got, administration? This got political real quick. Yes. Are yes. <laughs> our children's learnings? Okay, anyway, but so wow, where were we going? Yeah, anyway, so it redeemed this horrible thing. And now it has a completely different meaning. Mm -hmm. Now it has completely different intent. So if God, I mean, the very act of salvation, he was redeeming something. And so now people make past decisions and they come in, and especially on issues like purity culture, because of that, we somehow automatically think that redemptive nature can no longer touch this. No pun intended. <laughs> 
we're now recording this outside. I'm inside. Henry's outside. The door is open <laughs> because he's, he got out. I told him to get out. That's what happened. And now he's standing outside in the rain recording this for the rest of this podcast. This mic is great. They can't even hear the rain. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's just... Ugh. No, I, and here's, here's the other thing. It also comes down to... And this is the last thing I'll say about this. Um, it also comes down to a... Um, a fundamental misunderstanding of how the uh, of how a woman's body works, the idea that there there are people still there are cultures to this day, but throughout history that where they would do a hymen check because if the hymen broke then it meant that you had had sex and you would you would be punished for it and that still happens today in the yeah. Middle East yeah that's what I'm saying yeah. it still happens in some places in the world and it's like that's just a complete fundamental misunderstanding of the human body because the hymen can break for a number of reasons for a number yeah and that's the stupidest thing in the world to to use as a, as a as a gauge for whether or not someone's had sex and to be honest it just tells me that the church has way too much interest in people's sex lives or personal lives whatsoever oh that sounds like galatians yeah exactly it's just they've moved which gender they're seeking out their uh, private parts because yep. in galatians there were literally people hanging around the men's bathroom jumping in going oh you're circumcised or not so they all wanted to look at everybody's pee pee and now they're just like no let's look at women you yep. know down there so it's it's like wow we've just changed 50 percent. that's it yep so i i want to now change the tone here's what i hope i hope by the first half of this episode or for the first kind of half of this episode, that you, as a listener, have had something that you can say, like, yes, thank you. Like, this this was a time for us to commiserate together and vent about how ridiculous purity culture and modesty culture are and some of the dangers which, and damage that it's which, done. Which, by the way, wasn't it only about a year ago that Joshua Harris even came out and repudiated his own book? Oh, yeah, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah, yep. he even came out and was like, yep. I regret writing that. That doesn't work. It just... Yep, now yeah. he's atheist, actually. So Yeah, now he's even um, left the church over that, which should show you how destructive this thing is. Yeah, and um, there was just a year ago, too, I've talked about this, that, or, there was a incident in North Carolina at a Methodist church where a worship leader was accosted in the bathroom by a female, by an older woman, an elderly, probably deaconess, I think, um, or at least some sort of church leader, Accosting in the bathroom for her shorts being too short and her being too fat to wear shorts that that short. Oh um, that that video went there, literally. It's a video and it goes. It went viral. If you look it up. So he had a shorts uh, temper. Yeah, uh, she had a she. Um, <laughs> the if you look that up, for, fair warning: the girl who gets accosted gets angry real quick. This happens right after a worship service. And she gets angry real quick because obviously she's offended, cornered in the bathroom where the woman is literally standing between her and the door. There is no escape. So she sinners in the hands she, of an angry pastor. She definitely starts uh she definitely starts swearing and, and cussing the old woman out. And I don't necessarily blame her uh for her response in that moment. I don't I don't necessarily condone that as a normal response to things, but I can empathize or at least sympathize with her in this moment of she's Probably stating what women wish they could have for all of church yep. history, where all this comes out of. So, not um, not gonna not gonna knock anyone for that, and that situation is resolved. Um, but it is what it is. So, I think what we want to do now is is really do focus on uh, really focus on rediscovering purity and what that actually means. And to do that, we need to have a quick conversation on the difference between purity and innocence, or and the reason being, um, a lot of people use these terms as synonyms. You are no longer innocent. You are no longer pure. You've lost your innocence. You've lost your purity. 
um, the the problem is that they are not the same thing. <laughs> Um, no, and, they're not. and for, for many of you, if you've thought they were, this might be the most freeing thing you ever hear on this podcast, in which case awesome. Uh, cause we got that really quick <laughs> at near the beginning of the podcast. But, um, here the, here's, here's how I would, here's how I would communicate the difference between innocence and purity. So innocence is kind of like naivety in that it is purely a lack of exposure to something or a lack of knowledge about something. That's what innocence is. So the idea of innocence is that innocence can be lost whether it was your choice or not. Because all that someone can take away your innocence because they can expose you to something without your consent. That's, that is rape and any sort of molestation that is um, exposing someone to pornography. Uh, that is any number of you know sexual harassment anything like that the first time that that happens to you your innocence has been stolen and taken from you because now you have been exposed to something that you had not previously been exposed to and to make matters worse in those cases it was done against your will um so that is innocence yeah that's be the second definition and i think part of why people struggle with hearing that for the first time how you just defined it is because most of us think of it in a legal setting Correct. And the idea of innocence being innocent of a crime or offense. And when we say you lost your innocence, they automatically think they're guilty of something. Yeah. And that's not it at all. Innocence is simply your lack of exposure or knowledge to something. And that yeah. makes it not a, it, it, it makes it a neutral thing in this context. Yeah. I mean, even the dictionary says it's innocence is without knowledge of something's significance or possible consequences. There you go. Versus purity. Um, purity is is i would say it's understanding it's proper properly understanding your worth and value in god versus understanding your worth and value in your behavior or your life and and social context so the idea being currently purity culture tells you that your value is in your behavior and your context that's that's what purity culture literally says. If you have behaved a certain way or a behavior has been done to you, um, then you have, um, then, uh, then you're impure and it puts your worth and value in your behavior. But true purity is understanding your worth and value in God. And just as you mentioned with the, with the redemptive story of scripture, the idea, understanding your worth and value in God and properly understanding it that way means that purity can always be recaptured. In other words, purity becomes a choice, not something that you can just lose. In fact, it's something you can choose every single day, even if you quote-unquote lost it the day before. It is something that can continually be recaptured. And that is, it makes it so beautiful to me. Um, but we have made it about sexual fidelity when instead purity is your worth and value and understanding that properly within the context of God assigning you value versus your behavior, your actions and decisions assigning value to you. Yeah, which even comes from the dictionary again, because the first definition of purity says free from adulteration. And they're not saying adultery. It's not a sexual statement. It's the idea that you are still you. Mm -hmm. Somebody can do something to you. You can have an experience. And I'm not saying that these experiences don't now have a a mental consequence or emotional consequence or scarring. I'm not saying that, but fundamentally at the end of the day, you are still you. Yep. The, the beauty of this understanding is that it gives you agency. 
and the the worst thing about someone who has had their purity quote stolen from them you know or taken from them is that whenever someone commits a crime against you it is a moment where you have lost agency yeah and so you end up taking actions to get agency back there are a lot of people and i used to be this way i would um i would shave or get a haircut or something when life was going bad uh, because it was something I could control. Control, yeah. Right? Everyone seeks to recapture agency in their life when they feel it's being taken from them. And a proper understanding of purity puts the agency back in your possession because now you can say, this is what I'm choosing and this is who I'm choosing to be. Because at the end of the day, fundamentally, I am still me and no yeah. one can take that from me. Yeah. So I absolutely love So, So once again, difference, innocence is just a lack of exposure to something for better or for worse. And purity is properly understanding your worth and value in God instead of your behavior and your context. Um, so how do we find healing? <laughs> how, do we, how do we rediscover purity then um, within this context? What are some of the steps? What do we do? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, are we saying individually or as a church? or Why not both? We got time. Yes, we do have time. Well, I mean, first of all, let's just be back and get the macro level and the micro level. As, as a church, the first step we're going to have to do is admit that what we're saying now isn't working for some reason. I think a lot of reasons, but let's just say that most people are ignorant of, they just know something's not working. First step to recovery is admitting there's a problem. Uh, the church has to admit there's a problem. And I think growing segments of the church are realizing there's a problem, so that's good. But then once we realize a problem, we need to back up and figure out where, how did we get here? Mm. All right. What is the roots of this? Because, you know, we were talking earlier about, well, modern purity culture comes out of the, the 90s, but it's just a rehash of a same theme that's been going on for millennia. It, it's yep. not like this just came out of thin air. This is not a modern 20. This isn't a 20th century problem that got passed into the 21st. I mean, the church has been wrestling with this concept since its inception over 2000 years ago. Mm. And, and a lot of that like so many issues in the church really comes down to poor theology. You know, you know, it's so funny. So many people think theology is just kind of, and, and that's partly religious leaders faults for making it seem like this is pie in the sky stuff. We just sit around debating and it doesn't really have an impact on, on life. Error is never harmless. You may not know how it's harming you. You may not see the consequences right away, but error is never harmless. Mm -hmm. And the church has had seeds of, of poor theology when it comes to male-female interaction, when it comes to women and their value or their place you know, in the church, in society, or whatever, that has just seeped into so many different areas of church practice that it impacts areas even like this. I mean, they wouldn't have called it a purity culture or thought it was only about sexuality way back when, but when you look back even at the early church fathers, Erasmus, uh, uh, people like this, I mean, they— they had this concept where they skewed an understanding of sin itself coming from the Genesis account. Mm -hmm. And when, well, Eve started all of this because, and she tempted Adam and she, you know, screwed up the whole world that way. So therefore women were the easily deceived ones. Women were the ones that got men in trouble. And therefore we need to be extra certain as a church that because we know this truth, we make sure they don't become the next stumbling block like Eve was. Yeah. Right, and they've taken that concept and gone its its own inherent logic. It's not logical, but if that's your framework, within that framework, they've it's just 
it's gone into so many areas from sexuality mm -hmm. to to leadership to that's another big issue the church is fighting about still many different sectors about mm -hmm. what is a woman's role as far as leadership in the church or not and these all stem to a poor understanding of theology so as i said we're going to have to we're going to have to back up and be honest and look at okay where did this idea actually come from mm -hmm. why is it here okay now that it is is this really biblical is it not right and or why do we want to say that this is, or why do we want to say it's not? And we're going to have to have this debate. Yep. Um, it, it's inevitable. We're going to have to have it. Well, so, there's that. There's also, we need to, we need to decide if we're actually going to deal with the real problem versus, versus objectifying women and making that the problem, right? The, we're not identifying the right problem. The problem with purity culture currently is it identifies the way women dress and behave as the problem rather than addressing self-control and actually teaching people proper self-control and what that looks like within the kingdom of God and giving them the opportunity to exercise that self-control. Or even where responsibility lands. How many times have we unfortunately seen in the church where a woman is assaulted or raped or, or mm -hmm. something else by a man and the first response is, well, you let him on because you dressed that way. Yeah, what were you or wearing? If you hadn't have been in the bar drinking. You were just asking for it by being. Or if you enjoyed, if your body responded to it, then you liked it. Yeah, and you were okay with it. Which and that's is besides consent. the fact that you have biology going on. So I mean, yep, you know, but I mean, we've got to get away from. Well, we definitely have to get away from that that kind of concept. But but we also have to be willing to disassociate whether they could have dressed better or not been drunk or whatever is immaterial when someone makes that kind of violating decision. Mm -hmm. Rape is still bad. That's and the person raped is not at fault. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, I mean, I, have you met anyone yet? Unfortunately, cause I know several that when they're raped that, you know, they're like, Oh, I wanted that to happen to me. Or I was just out there hoping it would. No, they didn't make that decision. There is nobody who gets raped that was like, please do it. I mean, you know. Then it wouldn't be that. And it wouldn't literally, it, by definition, but it, then wouldn't it wouldn't be, be rape. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the coercive nature of the thing. It, it doesn't matter. Be, just because someone is wrong doesn't negate the wrong of the one that takes advantage of it. So even if you want to argue that they made a mistake, that's still no justification for someone coming in and abusing another's mistake, yep. especially in the Christian context where we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, not exploit them. Yep. No, th this is... <sighs> it is painful to see uh, all of this happen. And, and what I want to say, you know, before we even go any further here, is uh, I think both Henry and I both are sorry to any women who have been hurt by this, affected by this, men as well, who've been negatively impacted by this culture and who felt... Um, controlled by the church, coerced by the church, or ignored and unheard uh, by the church. The the number of the number of victims that are just that are blamed rather than the person who committed the crime. Um, it's it it is hilarious to me too because even in the moment of even let let me be let me be even even more specific because I've never seen it happen where a man was. Um, a man did have inappropriate sexual relations um, who was in a leadership position specifically 
and the church, even if the church didn't believe the victim that it was non-consensual, they still didn't even remotely discipline the pastor for, for having sex outside of marriage. They only disciplined or punished the, the woman, right? Like I've, I don't, I cannot think of a single case and I've looked at many, um, that cannot, that where the pastor was actually punished in the event that the church didn't, you know, took his side. In other words, if the church takes the leader's side, the leader isn't getting any punishment regardless Unless of what he did. Unless the law gets involved. Correct. That is the only way where Correct. the church caves when they realize a lawsuit's coming. Yep. Accurate. So, the, and that's that, like, that's what it, that's when it, that's, that's what tells me that our focus is just completely in the wrong place. And somehow we have it in our minds that we can be better at sin prevention than God. And God didn't even create a garden where the potential or the decision for sin was not an option. And the bottom line is we would rather, for, for, for many church leaders and for many in the church, they would rather have a world where there is no free will so you cannot sin. In other words, they would create an environment where you don't have the choice so that um, to protect you, and not even God does that to people. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to get off topic, but I will throw out there just an, a nerd moment that reminds me almost exactly of the premise of the brothers, Dost, you know, the brothers Karamazov from Fyodor Dostoevsky, and that I understood most, some of those words. Y- yes, well, it's, it's a Russian author, and it's a classic piece of literature, and it's about two brothers, and the brothers Karamazov, the Karamazov brothers, who are having a series of debates over a family issue that's going on, and they touch on a lot of different issues, including religion, and there's a very in philosophy circles, there's a very famous subset of argument between Elosha and Ilya, the two brothers, and it's called The Grand Inquisitor, and it's basically a hypothetical story that one of the brothers creates to make an argument, and it's, what if Jesus came back to the earth in the middle of the Spanish Inquisition? And in this story, Jesus basically gets arrested by the Inquisitor. Nobody would expect Jesus to come during the Spanish Inquisition. Yes, well... Well, yes, but that was a Monty Python reference for anyone out there. Yes. If you don't know, just search Nobody Expects the Spanish Inquisition and enjoy what you will find. Oh, Monty Python, such such a great king. We've got no king. We're part of a collective. <laughs> we meet on Tuesdays. Okay, anyway. So, but wow, I've got Monty Python running through my head now. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. Anyway, so now the plan is working great. Now all we have to do is hop out of the rabbit and take the castle by storm. We'll call it a draw. Yeah, yes, we called it's but a flesh wound. All right, but anyway, now that all of you are totally distracted by our distraction. Now I really am distracted where I was just going with that. Yes. The brothers. Oh yes, yes. And so they had so he shows up and the Inquisitor shows up in the cell where they're holding him and basically starts having a one sided dialogue because Jesus isn't speaking explaining why Jesus should have known better not to show up and he shouldn't complain because the church had to fix his problems. And it basically gets to that point where the church was admitting to the excesses of what's commonly called the Dark Ages, the medieval church, where he Mm. goes, we took away their choice and gave them bread and gave them, you know, shelter and this kind of thing, which is what the masses wanted anyway. You made it too complicated with all this free will stuff and it just overloaded them. And so we're, we fixed your mistake. Yep. This kind of thing, and it's a powerful chapter. I highly recommend. It. If you don't even read the rest of the book, go read that chapter on the Grand Inquisitor, because it's just profound. From someone like Dostoevsky, who's writing in the late 1800s, who was not even 
considered a Christian, and he pegs the religious experience of the medieval church to a T. And that just kind of reminded me of that when you when you said it that way, that we we think we're better than God at this prevention and the elimination of free will. And that never works well. And that chapter, I don't want to give away the ending because yeah. it's just a great ending in that chapter, but it basically that's going to be what the story has to deal yeah. with is like, well, the church is still wrong. Yeah. No, the, the well, and let's, let's be clear. All of that was said with the supposition that God did create us with free will, or the presupposition that God created us with free will. I understand that there's an entire, very large contingent of Christianity uh, Calvinism. Yes, that doesn't believe that there is free will, so that whole argument is moot to them. Um, however, the argument for agency still exists, period. The, the, the need to feel some sort of, and have some sort of control in your own life, whether you believe that there's free will or not, everyone chooses to exercise agency as much as possible. So the argument for agency, I think, is still on, on its own two feet, it can stand, um, even if you want to take out the free will argument from theology. Yeah. I'm talking just from a just from a pure human standpoint. So from a I, pure I, human yeah, standpoint. Yeah, I just want to make that clear. Um I also want to make it clear that I hate Henry for his puns. So <laughs> sorry that you have to suffer through them, but well, just speaking know of that... suffering, another thing the church and then let's go to the micro level, another thing the church has done to make it suffering is they've made purity all about sexual fidelity. And because we've done that, we've so compartmentalized it. We've actually, in the name of preventing sin, covered up a whole lot of other sin. Yep. Uh, again, going back to the pornography issue, we made sexual purity all about not having, quote, sexual intercourse before marriage. Well, if that's it, you open a lot of other areas of your life to becoming unpure, so to speak, by those definitions, but you ignore them because that's not the God you've made yeah. important. Right. So a guy, for example, could, I mean, let's just pick on even me and my experience. I remember as a teenager, I knew the only thing the church made clear is I should not have sexual intercourse before marriage. So whatever I had to do to make sure I didn't do that was okay. Which meant if I wanted to sit there and watch hours and hours and hours and hours of porn, right, masturbate, do anything else. Well, that's not sexual intercourse. So I'm still okay. Well, then that gets into the point, is my mind really still going to be pure if I'm filling my head yeah. with all of these countless hours of the degradation of women in that industry, of stuff that's not even realistic sex, mm -hmm. of, of just horrible, I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? So we're like, oh, well, you're pure. Well, I mean, yes, and we were talking about that you can reclaim purity, it's a choice. But I don't even know to make that choice no. at that point well, because and, I think, okay, correct. I'm good. And well, I can and just. By their definition, you wouldn't, you technically aren't by their, uh, by that old definition of purity. Yes. Even though they think you are outwardly. Correct. That's, that's the problem. And so there's still guilt and shame that only you carry and there's no one you can tell or talk to about it. Yeah. And very much the idea behind being a part of a community is that the community carries you while you carry the burdens that you have to carry. Um, and you are a part of a community that carries others as they carry the burdens they have to carry. And so, and yes, that is biblical. Um, I believe it is Galatians 6. Um, so there you go. The first yes. part of Galatians 6, 1 through 5, 1 through 6, somewhere in there. I think it's 1 through 6. Yes. So. And Ephesians. Yeah. And Philippians. <laughs> yeah. Just go read Paul. So on an individual level, uh, I want to 
encourage you with with this. Basically, if you want to be pure, that choice is yours right now. Yeah. And that choice is, will be yours in five minutes. It will be yours tomorrow. It will be yours tomorrow night. It will be yours a year from now. It is never too late to decide that you want to be pure. And you absolutely can recapture it. Hope is not lost. You are not damaged goods. You are not a oh, crushed rose. Crushed rose. You are not. Um, you are not a poor lock. You are a beautiful human being uh, that God has made in His own image, and He has dis- He has assigned you worth based on that alone. And if the God who spoke the universe into existence with the very same voice says you are worthy, you are you have value, that has power and that does have meaning. Yes, your ladies, your value is determined less so by the hands that want to touch you than the hands that created you. Yeah, and I know that you're hearing this from two men, so hopefully I, I understand that there's there's a little bit of a dissonance there. Dissonance, yeah. Um however, maybe we can be two of the first men that actually do the right thing here. Um and I don't not looking for a pat on the back for that. I'm just saying And I'm sure there's yeah. other people that are getting it right. We're not the yes. only ones, but but for some people, we may be the first people that they've heard, and this may be the first step. The, the second thing I would say is um, it is really important for us to surround ourselves with people, not, not in echo chamber, but rather people who, pro- who also properly understand this, this idea of purity and value and worth. Um, because otherwise... You could be making the choice every single day to be pure, but your church will never, or your community may never accept you as such, if they're still operating under the wrong definition of purity right. and innocence. Does that make sense? Yes. And the, and the other thing we should be clear with is, yes, you can reclaim purity, but you'll still have innocence consequences, if that, yes. if that makes sense. In other yeah. words, because now you're aware of things, or you still have the emotional scars that... that we're it doesn't saying, just get we're not rid of trauma that you choose, and it's erased. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't mean the trauma went away. We're not trying to say it like this is some new method to sweep it under the rug. All right, the church has been doing that for centuries. We're not trying to encourage that behavior. We're, we're talking about you can reclaim purity. You still have value. But we recognize that community, a healthy community, is going to be important to helping make sure that the loss of innocence doesn't keep derailing your choice to reclaim purity. Correct. Right, which is why this wouldn't be a beautiful faith if we didn't take a moment to throw out there your emotional well-being can be extremely impacted by therapy. And that should be nothing to be ashamed of to go get help from someone who's trained to help you work through all the little hiccups that are telling you you can't be pure, that you can't make that choice. Because all the other people are telling you that they can help you w- go through those weeds and find joy in the weeds. Hmm. We are making a reference. Surprise to no one. Surprise um, to no one. Go listen to last week's episode if you're curious, uh, and you will <laughs> you will hear what we're talking about at the very beginning of the episode. So, uh, but no, absolutely. Um, therapy is huge. Counseling is huge. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and whether you are perfectly healthy or you think you're perfectly healthy. Um, and in there's perfect emotional balance, there's always room to grow. Yes. Though I did just see a tweet earlier because I live on social media, um, that said my therapist just referred to her therapist as my grand therapist. And I'm honestly, <laughs> I'm still processing it. <laughs> um, amazing. So, um, but even therapists have therapists like, yeah, that's, 
the point. If is, you're human, there's always room for our emotional yep. well-being to continue. You to still flourish. go get a checkup at a doctor, right? You still do. You still take. You get your teeth cleaned, even if they're clean, right? There, there's, there's still to prevent cavities. Correct. Right? Yeah. So therapy is about, um, and counseling is about getting is about growing still, getting to know yourself and the things about you. Um, for me, um, I know that that trauma is something that is definitely stored in the body. And I know that that has come out several times. Um, but I am unaware of what those things are. Other people have noticed them and I haven't. So it is something for me that I want to figure out because there are things that have happened to me and in my life that I need help identifying what their effects really have been on my health overall. And like counseling is incredibly important. Um, like hugely important. Um, so we don't have necessarily any recommendations off the top of our heads. Um, but it is really important that you work with your insurance company or whomever. If you're outside of the states, just go find one. Um, if you're in a if you're in a country with socialized healthcare, but the or single payer healthcare maybe is the best government way. run. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one percent of that I do. Yeah. Okay. So the um and and the last thing I'll say on this too is in regards to community. Uh, the one thing that, that I have done is I leave have a toxic one. Um, yeah. Leave a toxic one if you need to. Um, if they refuse to admit that you can become pure again, then maybe you should make their community more pure by leaving their garbage and going somewhere where you can actually flourish. Correct. Um, the, if you are in a toxic church, both of us are telling you get out of the, of that toxic church. Neither of us are saying leave the church altogether. I don't think you would be listening to this podcast if you weren't interested in being a part of something regarding faith. Something. So yeah. we're not saying leave the church because by definition, by being a believer, you are a part of the church. Yeah. But if you need to leave a specific local community in order to take care of yourself and be healthy um, and seek healing, then by all means do so. Um, and again, and that's also within the context. That's a different debate. I mean, at least go see if the community is willing to grow with you. Yep. Now, because everyone's going to make mistakes. Don't just be like, well, those two people said no, so I'm out of this toxic community. Well, there are two out of 300 people there. Yeah. But if the community, if you've gone to them and you've shown a willingness that you want your well, emotional well-being to be better and they don't, and it becomes very clear when you make that offer, they're just like, nope, uh, then that's probably the time where you should go, okay, I respect your free will, but I'm going to use mine yep. and go elsewhere. Um, and I would say if you're a leader in a church or a school, um, the way you handle modesty issues in your church or school or institution um, will send a very loud and clear message to the young people that come through your doors. Yeah. If you are the so concerned with, use, yeah, yeah, if you are sending someone home for how they are dressed in because they're dressed quote inappropriately, what you are telling them is that the way they are dressed matters more than the education that they receive. That's what you're. That's the message that you are sending to them and all of their peers. Is that they're, they they are their value is wrapped up in how they dress versus the education that they could receive and actually benefit them as people and society. I get that there is a limit. Don't get me wrong. If someone's showing up naked, like <laughs> put on some clothes. Um, yeah, the church but, couldn't bear it. Yeah, the, accurate. But there is, um, but like be reasonable and extend grace where you can. Model what model Christ in this situation. And I have never known Christ to hold up an ID card or something three inches to make sure that someone's robe was long enough. So <laughs> there's no where in scripture where, where Jesus is that nitpicky in the gospels, especially when he comes across women who 
happen to actively be living a life that is. Yeah. You um, never walked up to a robe and said that doesn't cut it. Yep, I hate you. Um, but in the in the on the point of community too, we have created a community on Facebook, um, and through Discord now it does exist. Of um, for any listeners for the Absurd Podcast Network, but uh, especially a beautiful faith. Uh, the idea is that you are welcome to supporters of the podcast are welcome to join this community and become a part of it. Uh, there is one caveat and it's this, and I need you to hear me out all the way through because you're going to pays to listen. Yes. Um, there is a, there is a paywall to access this community. Basically it is open to financial supporters of the network. Um, and you can do so by going onto Patreon or by making donations through PayPal. If you are a regular monthly subscriber to, you know, in, in a monthly donor to the podcast, then you are granted access to the community. And the reason that this is the case is not because I want to make money off of other people's pain. Um, it's not even because I, because I need this to be more sustainable financially, though that is, a, that is a real thing. The reason I do it is because if you are putting your money where your mouth is, you will take the community seriously. If there's literal investment in what you are doing... What that does is it helps weed out the people who would just join in just to see what all the gossip is, just to identify people who are hurting um, and identify people who've done something inappropriate. There are people with bad intentions that would never pay to to seek those, you know, to do those things um, and would run rampant if we did not have some sort of wall there. So please know that if, if you are will, if you're wanting to be a part of that community, um, you can head over to the Patreon or um uh, to the website and you can look at that in the show notes and that will be the way to join the community as soon as you join uh, we'll get you an invite the community is being built so it will start small obviously but it will grow with time um, but we just want you to know that that is available to you and even if it means that all you're talking to for a little bit is us no there are other supporters um, that's fine too but we want to make that available to you and I do want you to know that it's actually set up this way for the benefit of those that are in that community versus just like, oh, we want to make money. That's not it at all, but it can be a win-win. <laughs> so um, I do want to make that offer to you. You are welcome to go at the time that you are listening to this. That community is available to join. So Henry, any final thoughts, anything that you want to kind of leave us with? Yeah, I'm going to swing back around to that phrase that we've mentioned a couple of times. And I just absolutely hate this idea of a crushed rose. Or damaged goods? Or damaged goods, yeah. But I'm, I'm going to use the rose analogy. Ladies, if you have been told you are a crushed rose, I would like to remind you that there was a rose in the Bible called the Rose of Sharon, whose name was Jesus, who was crushed for our iniquities. And last I checked, the church still believes in most circles that Jesus has infinite value. And if he is the ultimate crushed rose, and even you believe Jesus has value, then that means you still have value, infinite value. And we are sorry that the church, our church leaders, our other well-intentioned people have ignored the ultimate rose and tried to use that as an illustration to crush the value out of you. You still have infinite value and worth from the Creator, and we really hope that you will be patient with us, that you will, in a healthy spot, pray for us, will will help us to redeem the time, if you will, and have the church soon become a champion in the name of the Rose and Sharon instead of a, a crusading crusher in the name of crushed roses. Um, you are not 
you you have just as much value as you ever have and i just want to make sure that message gets out there no matter what somebody says jesus says you have value we say you have value and we're hoping one day really soon if the church is not communicated to you that message that we will we're trying to get there yep absolutely and every conversation like this is a step to get there so thank you so much for listening Uh, thank you for being a part of this journey with us we hope this was something beneficial to you um and hey if we said something that that hurt if we say something that um that was unintentionally bad on our part i did say that malice doesn't care about intent so please reach out to us using our contact info in the episode description so that we can learn and grow um and because that this is a journey for us as well so thank you everyone for listening we appreciate you and we love you and we'll see you next time